You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. To this day, you know, one of the most important people in terms of our own story is Rod Smallwood, the manager of Iron Maiden, because he was someone that believed in us early. Uh, I think he, something in the way we were approaching the subject of metal, he, he understood we were coming from a place of respect. Also, ideally wanting to do something that was going to be big and make an impact. So Rod was really instrumental. Like he connected us with a whole range of other artists. It kind of went from this kind of a snowball effect. Like once you get once you get Maiden and Slayer and a few others, it just gets easier and easier, right? Because you can tell people, well, hey, we got these folks, and it kind of goes from there. So it was messy. We didn't know what we were doing, but you know, good thing we didn't have any kids and nothing else to do. So we could take five years to do it. <laughs> hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, brought to you by Sound Talent Media, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians to talk about their lives, music, and craft beer. I hope you had a glorious weekend. I most certainly did. This Vox and Hops episode is presented by Heavy Montreal. Heavy Montreal are Montreal's premier metal promoter. They put on a bunch of amazing shows throughout the year here in Montreal, but more than that, they also put on one of North America's sickest festivals, and that's the absolute truth. I have played festivals all across the globe, and Heavy Montreal are up there with the best of them. I am beyond stoked to have Heavy Montreal behind the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. Super stoked to announce that I have teamed up with Indie Merch Store to bring you the official Vox and Hops Metal Podcast merchandise. You can go to my website, voxandhops.com slash merch that's v-o-x-a-n-d-h-o-p-s dot com slash merch to check out all of the amazing merchandise that is available there you can also use the promo code voxhops10 that's v-o-x-h-o-p-s 10 at checkout and you will save 10 percent off of your entire purchase before we jump into today's episode, I would just like to ask you to follow the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast on the podcast platform of your choice. But more than that, I'm also asking you to tell a friend about the podcast. If there is someone in your life that enjoys metal and craft beer, let them know about the podcast. You can tell them that there are over 280 episodes available on their favorite podcast platform for them to go back and listen to with some of the world's best metal artists and brewers. If you were to encourage someone to become a future Vox and Hopshead, I would be extremely grateful. Now, on today's episode, I'm with Sam Dunn of Banger Films. Get ready, everyone. This is Vox and Hops episode number 285. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today I'm with Sam Dunn of Banger. I am so excited to be with you. I have uh, wanted to be with you since I started the podcast. One of those uh, bucketless guests. I am very, very excited that we are having this conversation today. Sam, how are you doing? I'm great, Matt. Yeah, it's nice to be here. I've known about your podcast for a long time and hundreds of episodes. So yeah, just happy to sit down and talk with you. This is going to be fun. Absolutely. Let's just 
dive straight into the darkness before we can have some fun. Uh, how did you cope with the glorious year that is now far behind us, but is still lingering on of 2020? You know, uh, I guess it's a cliche. It was tough, but there's lots of silver linings. I have two young kids and, and, and a wife, and we've spent a lot of time together. Uh, you know, kids struggled parts with the whole online thing, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But overall, you know, I think I'll look back at this time principally as a time when I probably spent the most time with my family, maybe in my whole life. So I I think what seemed very stressful in the short term, I think in the long term is actually good. We're going to look back on it with some fondness in a weird way. But that's, of course, saying that from the perspective of someone who's very lucky who hasn't been affected by COVID in any direct way, nor any family members. So uh, just, yeah, thankful for that. It is nice to have a moment of rest that is imposed upon us. Um, Being artists, musicians, you know, we're always on tour. You have been busy since forever doing, you know, many movies, ZZ Top, Iron Maiden, Rush, Satan Lives, Tragically Hip, Alice Cooper, Metal Evolution, Global Metal, Headbangers Journey. Uh, you got TV shows going on. You got shows for kids with the B minor. So it just never stops. It never stops for you. So at least the pandemic almost forced you to stop. Well, you know, uh, no. <laughs> Uh, I I don't know if I'm capable of stopping. I mean, I spent a lot of time with the family, as I said, but I, you know, for us at Banger or for Scott and I, we, you know, we kind of barreled down and focused on developing new projects. You know, we were lucky, like when the pandemic hit, we were actually in post-production on two series and one feature length film, which meant that timing wise, like it could have affected us a lot more uh, strongly. If we had been in the middle of filming stuff, it would have been a different story. So we kind of lucked out in terms of timing, but really beyond that, taking the time to just do a lot of doing a lot of research, a lot of writing, a lot of Zoom calls with 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 networks, you know, like just doing the hustle, you know, and and, you know, it's been hard because I think a lot of the networks mean similarly have kind of it's been a moment for them to pause and think about priorities. So you know, we didn't get as many green lights as we would have liked over the last year and a half, but we feel like things are are relaxing now. So hopefully we'll make up for that time. Amazing. Amazing. So exciting to, to hear that new things are coming. Uh, you are someone that just never stops. Um, very inspiring as uh, you've created this empire. I, I just, I love it. I love it. Let's talk about what Vox and Hops is all about. Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends, talking about their lives, music, and craft beer. Now, what beer do you have on your side today that we're going to be sharing virtually well uh here at banger in toronto we we're in the same building as henderson's brewery we're we're there on the ground floor we're on the third floor so uh very good beer is literally steps away uh and so i'm drinking their sort of original ale um which is called henderson's best which has been part of their their fleet, if you will, since uh, I think pretty much since day one. So yeah, I've always liked this beer. Uh, uh, we'll get into this, but I'm a fan of the kind of malty English style mm. beers that end of the spectrum. And and as far as Canadian versions of that, this this does a pretty good job. So it's true. Henderson rules. Uh, mad shout out to Jamie Morris, uh, one of their brewers. I've had him on the podcast. He's been a, a true friend. Uh, Henderson actually brewed a Vox and Hops beer. They brewed two of them. They brewed Devastation, which was a black lager when I was going to be hosting a after party there for Devastation on the Nation. But sadly, that never came to. But the beer did exist and it was delicious. And just recently, they released a brew as a part of Brutal North America with Chris Thrashed. Chris Sutsos, he's a great kid. Love him. Uh, full 
full of energy. Love that guy. Uh, and they do make more like British style brews and they don't really mess around with the hype of the, the craze of the IPAs and all the madness that is going on. Uh, yeah, well, I'm doing this partly because I've got a lot of opinions about beer, whether people will agree or not, but uh, I look forward <laughs> to that. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I get the for- good fortune of, you know, I walk 10 minutes from my house to our office and quite often I'll come around the corner and the doors of Henderson will be open and metal will be blasting out yes. of the brewery, courtesy mostly of, of Jamie. And so it always feels like a, a good welcome. <laughs> It's amazing. It's amazing. On my side, I am drinking a Brutal North America collab. This is from uh, Cannery Brewing and Unleash the Archers. It's their North Wheat Pilsner taken from the North West Passage song that they had released a few back, years back that had some success for them. Killer Brew. Uh, I'm going to crack this and uh, I want to hear about your very first beer, Sam. Oh, man. Don't know if it's my first, but the one I remember most was probably a a, a very warm and, and, and not so tasty extra old stock you remember extra old stock i'm dating myself here i'm in my late 40s so you know my references can go back a ways but um it was you know my dad drank it it was just sort of like the every man's beer uh i think it was cheap you know that's primarily (laughs) uh maybe the criteria uh, there, but you know that's that's my memory of the first taste of it, and I, I hate to say it's not a fond one, but I'm glad that uh, beer has come a long way since extra old stock. <laughs> cheers! It has. Cheers. cheers to that. Ooh, smells amazing. It's got that wheat, but it's like lemony, citrus, delicious, super smooth. I think it's 5.5% ABV. Killer, amazing, love it. Uh, how about your craft beer evolution? At what point did you realize that beer could be more than that that stock? Yeah, well, I mean, I grew up in Victoria, BC, and I don't know the dates. I'm not that level of an expert, but you know, the micro brew, as it was called, kind of uh, movement started pretty early in 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 BC. So you had you had small brews coming in from like the interior, uh, or even you know Vancouver Island had some early early beers as well. You know beyond the Coconies and beyond the Molsons yep. and, and and that kind of that kind of you know, Okanagan Springs comes to mind. Like that's when I feel I'm, it's probably in around you know the early '90s around there. You know uh, where you started to get a sense that that beer was becoming this kind of cottage thing um and so i think that it was right around there you know of course i you know i turned 19 in 1993 so that probably had something to do with it so maybe i got lucky in terms of timing like right when around the age i I was of age that kind of those early days of the the microbrew industry at least in bc was was kicking off Hmm. Which correlates sort of to you being a young teenager and the metal movement kicking off at the same time, too. Yeah, I guess they all go hand in hand. I mean, I remember, you know, before I was of age, you know, pre-microbrew, pre-legal, you know, <laughs> you know, stashing six packs of, of coconut or extra old stock in, in a bush, you know, outside of Fernwood Community Center, which was, you know, where 95 percent of our local metal shows happened at that time, because on the island, it was very, very rare at that time that big acts would come mm. over. Right. We'd have to go to Vancouver if we wanted to see Maiden or Metallica or anybody like that. So for that reason, you know, for better or worse, we were kind of cut off. But it also meant that we kind of had this, you know, this small, 
group of bands that um, were kind of our bands, you know, Armorous and Mission of Christ and Tantrum and Witch's Hammer would come over from from Vancouver. And, you know, I played in a handful back then. But, you know, anyway, so that that kind of that warm, extra old stock taste goes directly, it's directly correlated to, you know, those insane early all ages gigs at the Fernwood Community Center. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about your youth, your soundtrack of your youth. When you're growing up in your parents or guardians house, what music was playing when you were not in control? What music did they listen to? You know, I was pretty lucky. My parents were both pretty into music and, and I know now, I didn't know at the time they had pretty good taste for the most part. Uh, Lots of Beatles, lots of Kinks, some Bob Marley, Um, some Santana, some, you know, splashes of classical here and there. They were really into folk music. They were actually also really oddly into a lot of like Middle Eastern music that came out of Northern Africa. My dad, you know, was a hobby musician and my mom was as well. So like from day one, it was a pretty eclectic music environment in, in, in our house. But of course, you know, when you threw Slayer Rain of Blood into that mix, it sort of changed things. <laughs> what was their reaction? My parents are always very open to my musical, whatever I brought into the house. My dad was super cool with it. Um, what were your parents like? Overall, much the same. Uh, although, you know, I think there was inevitably that that sense of fear that, you know, if I was singing along and, you know, <laughs> with with Rain and Blood and Scream, Do You Want to Die, you know, competing with Tom Morea, I and undoubtedly, you know, had caused some alarm for some fairly, you know, peaceful, you know, left coast parents, uh, you know, and I remember my dad used to walk around the house and like, wail in like a really intentionally bad way trying to imitate Bruce Dickinson's voice so he would kind of take the piss <laughs> out of it so you know I, you know I think probably a lot of the like the death metal like I got into pretty early for them was maybe a, a little bit alarming the obituaries and the morbid angels and the deaths etc um, but overall given the fact that they were listening to some pretty unusual music themselves you know, they couldn't really, they couldn't really be a judge. So overall, they were pretty accepting. <laughs> uh, how about your first shows? You were mentioning those, those all ages shows on the island. What would have been the first music experience that you went to go see? Oh, boy. I mean, my first musical experience was actually probably like my dad jamming with some friends in the living room in our house, wow. right? Like, you know, there was instruments out. My dad plays a uh, instrument called the oud, which is like a lute, which is a predecessor to the guitar, you know, one of those big bellied acoustic uh, instruments. Mm-hmm. So there was always a lot of music. So I guess that would be the house gig would be the first, the, the, the very first. <laughs> Honestly, I think the very, the memorable gigs were, you know, pre Fernwood Community Center, there was this place in Victoria called the Rat's Nest. And anyone in Victoria on the West Coast who are of similar age will know it. It was a, it was a, a notorious house kind of in the semi-industrial area of, of Victoria and it was it was it was a house with a basement and that's where a lot of the early punk and metal gigs happened you know Deglo Abortions played there I think probably No Means No played there a few times and a bunch of the bands I already mentioned like Mission of Christ and 
probably DOA swung through there a few times and, and, and stuff like that. So I was definitely not supposed to be there because <laughs> this is going, <laughs> this is going pretty far back. And I remember being like, feeling like the, the little kid in the basement. Uh, and so, you know, always does a little bit of those nerves and it being super loud and super, you know, pretty, you know, that kind of aggressive vibe. And I, you know, I was probably 15 or 16 and I, you know, that was, that was all brand new. So that's etched in my memory is really the first time being at a show that I went to cause I wanted to be there. Mm. It's, and it was like a strange fear thing. I remember my first shows, I was there and I was terrified, but super exhilarated at the same time. And it's almost the same thing as being much younger at a video store and perusing the horror section. <laughs> exactly. <Just looking. laughs> I was rolling for whatever reason at that age, I seemed to be rolling with, you know, uh, guys that were two or three years older than me, which of course, if the difference between 15 and 18 is huge, oh, yeah. right? So, so yeah. I was kind of like the big little kid uh, tagging along. So I always felt like, yeah, again, I wasn't really supposed to be there, but I was rolling with these older guys, so I was going to be okay. Uh, so, yeah, those are, man, I'd love to be a fly on the wall to go back to those moments. <laughs> that would be super cool. How about your first time on stage? Oh, boy. <sighs> you know, uh, I think it was... <laughs> The first metal band I played in was with a guy named Jason Flower, uh, based out of Victoria, who runs Supreme Echo Records and is doing some amazing work out there. We had a band called Dementia. I think we lasted like not even a year. Um, and, you know, those were basement, those were basement gigs, you know, and I think we had like literally three or four songs. We were playing to a group of friends. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it's not the most glamorous uh, starting point, but you know, the reality is, is I, I started pretty young. Like I think I, yeah, I was 13, 14 when we made our first demo and we were playing those. Amazing. It was all basement. It was like all basement and community center shows at, at, at that time, obviously, because we weren't of age, but that's also just where, you know, you could play metal shows, mm -hmm. right? That's so that was, that was that early, that early world of metal for me. Insane. Amazing. Uh, always the bass. You always gravitated towards the bass. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I wanted to play the drums, you know, uh, you know, I just admired drum, the drumming, the, the coordination and the agility and that kind of the power of drumming. So for whatever reason, I was always drawn to, I think the rhythm section, but, uh, we lived in a rental and we didn't have much money. So the drums were out the door. And I remember on my, the 12th, Christmas when I was 12, I came down and under the Christmas tree was this beat up old Fender copy bass, which my dad actually fixed up. I don't think it was even working with a little, like a little Christmas bow on the headstock. <laughs> Amazing. And uh, that was the first instrument. But funny thing, I distinctly remember like, this is maybe getting into the weeds a bit, but like not e even being able to hear the bass in music. And my dad, like mm. we would listen to the Kinks or, or, the, or the Beatles. And my dad would be like, okay, can you hear McCartney's bass line? It's going dum -dum 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 around mm. everything else. And I literally remember not being able to hear it, which is so fascinating because we were just, I was cued into the vocals and the, the melody and the guitar, kind of the more obvious stuff, if you will. And then slowly over time, you know, learned how to hear the bass and then, from there, once, you know, goes without saying, once Steve Harris and Getty Lee and Cliff Burton entered the equation, <laughs> no turning back. You heard the bass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the last show you went to before COVID shut everything down? Oh, man. Uh, it was, I think it was Amon Amarth, Arch Enemy, and At the Gates. 
down at the, I still call it the docks. I can't even keep track of what it's called anymore. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you know the place. Um, yeah, it was great. You know, big show, big show, yeah. big show. Yeah. And, you know, again, another one of those shows which made me realize, holy, I'm on a Marth is like, they're on this level now. But, you know, I was really there for ATG because that's where my heart is. So, you know, it's kind of nice to like, go to gigs for this many years and then still realize you're going for the opening band. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait to go back and get those goosebumps. Oh. I know I'm just picturing it. Yeah. Just our, my first show back as a spectator and as someone performing. You know, the last show that was gonna, I was going to go to before the pandemic hit was Opeth, right? But Michael got laryngitis yeah. or whatever and canceled those shows. So that I think was like literally February 2020, somewhere mm -hmm. in there. So... Mm -hmm. I was super bummed and then after COVID hit, just extra bummed because I realized oh, that would have been the last show I would have seen, so yeah. Absolutely. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hopsins? I just want to take a little moment about Cryptopsy's upcoming tours. That's right, I'm talking about the Scream of Perseverance tour and our headliner dates that coincide with that tour called As Summer Burns. The Scream of Perseverance tour is kicking off at the end of May and runs all the way until the end of June. We are supporting the mighty death to all. We are going all over the United States and we are hitting some of Canada. So excited to be honoring the legendary music of death alongside amazing musicians that performed on these albums. Even more stoked to be doing some headliner dates in some cities that I've actually never played in. If you are planning to come to any of these shows, you should definitely grab your tickets by going to voxandhops.com slash summer and you will be able to grab all of your tickets there. That's voxandhops.com slash summer. Do it, people. Come hang out with me. Enjoy life, metal, and craft beer in your hometown. Come to a show. We're going to have a great time. Now, enough about all of that. Let's get back to the episode. Let's talk about Banger. Uh, I mentioned earlier, it's become an empire. You know, you got movies, TVs, you got Banger Live, you got shows for kids. It's, it's never ending. It's always expanding. When you started this, when you started, I'm going to make a documentary about metal. Did you ever imagine that you would be where you are at now? No. As a short answer, you know, for Scott and I, it started with that first movie and just wanted to make a great movie about metal because we felt it hadn't been done. And you know, we were we were fortunate. It was a successful film. Like our debut film was at TIFF and it got bought in dozens of countries around the world and it really resonated with metal fans. It resonated with metal musicians too, which ended up being a really important piece because then that meant we established relationships with Rush and with Alice and with Maiden and a, a lot of those artists who appeared in that first movie, right? So it kind of went from there and then, you know, eventually just made the decision that we just didn't want to go from one film to the next and expanded into series work with Metal Evolution and then wanted to build this brand of evolution, like top quality kind of documentary series looking at specific music genres. So then did hip hop and then we've more yep. recently done K-pop. So, wow. you know, the story, the story goes on, but the short answer is no. But I think, you know, we just we realized at least starting with metal that we'd we kind of opened a door into a world that really hadn't been looked at. And a lot of those legacy artists, like I mentioned, 
none of them have had definitive films made about their careers. Meanwhile, you know, the Neil Youngs and the Rolling Stones and et cetera, no disrespect, but they've each had multiple films made about their career. And we're like, well, why, why not Maiden? And these, these are bands that have been around for just as long and have legions of fans around the world. So um, it kind of started from there. And then, you know, really just carrying the philosophy forward of just telling stories about music that, at firstly, don't alienate the fan base, you know, don't talk down to the fans, you know, don't be pedantic to the people who know, mm-hmm. but also trying to strike that tricky balance to telling stories that are going to appeal to a broader audience, right? And, you know, it's difficult. Sometimes we get it, sometimes we don't, but that's always the, it's always the intention. How did that go down the first time around, me being someone that books my own interviews and I do everything myself. I'm interested how you got all these amazing musicians for Headbangers Journey. What was that pitch like? Uh, Did you do it on your own or did you have people? Did you go through publicists? I imagine it was a mix of everything. Yeah, well, you know, it took five years to make that movie. If you, if you, if you factor in literally from the day we were like, Hey, you want to make it, should we make a documentary about metal to like (laughs) the tip premiere in 2005? Right. So it was a long journey. And if it had take, we knew it was going to take that long, probably wouldn't have done it. Uh, so good thing. Naivety is sometimes, you know, a little, uh, good to have a little bit of naivety in there. But I think that, um, we kind of hustled ourselves, um, you know, we, you know, Scott, my business partner was working as a music supervisor and had worked as an AD in film. So he had some connections within the industry and I was just finishing grad school at that time. And we just started reaching out to personally, like we just started reaching out to some key managers and, you know, remember we like, we like typed out letters and put them in envelopes and sent wow. them, right? And and uh, the you know uh, to this day, you know, one of the most important people in terms of our own story is Rod Smallwood, the manager of Iron Maiden, because he was someone that believed in us early. Uh, I think he something in the way we were approaching the subject of metal. He he understood we were coming from a place of respect. Also, ideally wanted to do something that was going to be big and make an impact. So Rod was really instrumental. Like he connected us with a whole range of other artists and obviously helped us get the interview, you know, got the interview with Rod or with Bruce, sorry, at Hammersmith. And it kind of went from this kind of a snowball effect. Like once you get once you get Maiden and Slayer and a few others, it just gets easier and easier, right? Because you can tell people, well, hey, we got these folks and it kind of goes from there. So it was messy. We didn't know what we were doing, but you know, good thing we didn't have any kids and nothing else to do. So we could take five years to do it. <laughs> It's incredible. And I remember the movie, it, such a huge impact on me and that, especially that Bruce interview when he's talking about bringing that fan in the back and he's right here in your hand or in, on his thumb or something. It, it really impacted me as a front man of what I need to do on stage. So yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for that interview. Oh my, I mean, man, literally when I say in the film, if the 12 year old Sam knew I was doing this, I probably would like collapse. Uh, it's <laughs> totally true. So I'm just glad like, I was 30 by the time we got to making that film. And so at least was able to, you know, approach it more from a professional standpoint uh, than a fan standpoint. Um, just because if it was just a pure fan in the room, I'd just want to like talk about Steve Harris bass lines and the lyrics to Rhyme <laughs> and the Ancient Mariner. And, you know, it would just get, it'd get pretty tedious pretty quick. I get nervous still sometimes when I sit down 
before we start these things. How, how, do you still get nervous? Was there moments with, you know, this huge star that you loved your whole life? Right before you sit down with them, do you get the butterflies? Sometimes, you know, less so now, but I get, I get, I get more nervous about like, you know, is this interview going to go well? And is this per, am I going to be, you know, am I going to feel good about doing my job as an interviewer and a storyteller and, and, and making sure people feel comfortable in terms of opening up, uh, to, to me, you know, I think that's probably most interviewers go through that. So I think less so the starstruck thing but but more always like never assume like you can't mail it in right and no, and no, so no. uh i think that you know i still take that very seriously like with the zz film for example like you know and we're working with those guys like getting to the story so you know compared to you know 17 years ago i look at it much more from the perspective of a documentary filmmaker than a fan of metal right <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about an interview that got away from you. There's been there's the the classic mayhem one, of course, from Headbangers. I saw you with Abbott. He was very entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> what else would be some some interviews that you were not in control that are worth mentioning, or that you wish you could do again? Basically. Well, you know, yeah, I mentioned the ZZ film, like getting started with Billy Gibbons. Uh, you know, had some challenges. You know, um, he's he's someone who takes time to get to know Billy, you know, and uh, I came to realize pretty quick that, you know, Billy, Billy is similar to Alice Cooper in a sense that they kind of are their character mm-hmm. or, and the line is very vague sometimes, right? So, you know, with Billy, you know, we got there eventually, I felt, with that film and those interviews, but it, it took time. It t- you know, it takes time, I think, particularly, and you know this, like with artists who have very well-worn narratives about their career and their lives, right? And especially when you're dealing with artists who have been around for 20, 30, 40, 50 years in the case of ZZ, like these narratives are deep, you know, and to try and find another way in or get them away from their normal kind of press mode uh, thing can take take some work, right? So, um, you know, yeah. So Billy, we got there, but, you know, it took some time. It's, it's all about patience, right? So that's what I've been learning is just to wait and to listen and to be, to be, open to 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 where this conversation is going to go yeah and be respectful of the time that it takes right that's why you know these films and these series that we make i mean they're they're a year and a half to a three years of our life of our life typically from top to bottom right so in terms of the whole process so you just kind of got to honor that time and and the magic word is trust especially when you're dealing with you know when you're telling stories that are like gonna be the definitive documentary about a person's life and career. Like, you know, that takes some trust building, right? And often that's just, that's just time together, right? You're not gonna get, you're not gonna get the gold in hour one. You're gonna get it in hour six or seven. Yeah. <laughs> and they're, they're, you know, they've done so many interviews. They're, they're some, a lot of artists don't even trust people that conduct interviews yeah so so it's really just a matter of just 
being there and showing them that you really want to show what's best of them. Yeah. And, and yeah. So another way of looking at, you know, that is that because when you're making documentary, we try to distance ourselves from press. Like we're not, especially remember mm-hmm. in the early days with the metal, with, with that bangers journey and, and metal evolution, it's like, we're not there to talk about the latest record. We're not there to talk yeah. about how the tour is going. We're not there to talk about something that happened recently. You know, it's like, no, we're going to step back here. And, and that just sort of sometimes takes, sometimes the artist just, some, well, you know, sometimes the artist just sits down and has no idea what the interview is about, right? Which is a whole other, oh, yeah, yeah. that's a whole other conversation. Oh, yeah. oh, but yeah. for a documentary <laughs> filmmaker, when you've only got an hour, which to us is sort of bare minimum, it's like, you've got to, sometimes it takes a lot of work to get to the place where, again, they're not just talking about how the tour is going or the recording of the new album. Yeah. Sometimes they're on autopilot too. There is that, you know, but, you know, I probably would be too if I had done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of interviews you know during my life <laughs> <laughs> so you have so much going on uh, the the bangers just expanded beyond belief in so many different facets uh are there times that you wish that it was simpler how, how do you handle all of this and i assume that you've you've brought a lot more people into the team to to run these things but you're still you and scott are still the main focus points and have control of everything yeah i mean certainly you know goes without saying you know the company's grown you know we hover around 40 to 50 employees generally given depending on where we are in terms of how many shows we have in production and where we are in in the cycle of of things so you know certainly our roles have swung a lot more towards you know thinking about the business you know over time you know i you know we started more creative and that's where Mm -hmm. we started and over time you know come to focus more on the business so certainly that brings its 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 challenges you know you know you have to work with people and 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 you know loyalty is important to us so it's important you keep the people you love and 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 keep them motivated and all those those things but you know um but at the end, you know, I think what I really love about what we're doing and where we're going is that there's our our scope is so broad now. We're starting to we're, we're starting to develop scripted series, and we've got the kids stuff, and we're now you know developing shows, you know, documentaries or series that aren't music focused, and sports is kind of in the picture now, and so you know the challenges of of kind of management and running a business is offset by the fact that we were able to work with all these amazing people and different directors who come to us and want to make a show and so it's like we've got so many fascinating things we're developing that you know i you know i just sound like a bitch if i complained let's just put it that way (laughs) amazing amazing um let's talk about vh1 the music evolution that you guys did metal evolution mm-hmm. uh why it, it subsequently got released but why was the extreme metal one excluded from the original package after we did the original 11 um we did go back to vh1 with a proposal for i think it was like four or five additional episodes like we didn't think at that time i mean now there's a whole other season that could be made which is a separate conversation but at that time sort of on the heels of that was 2011 when the series came out um we had like four or five that we thought hey if we're gonna do we think there's like a follow-up half season to be done here and you know vh1 they were basically like you know what we're good this show is doing well for us 11 hours 
we got what we wanted. And so we sort of went away and said, well, among the ideas we were presenting for the second season, Extreme Metal just seemed like the one that had to be made somehow. And uh, and personally, because that's sort of where, you know, the bulk of my metal listening is, you know. And so, um, yeah, we just we found a different way to do it through, you know, through crowdfunding and, and doing it as a digital release. So, you know, I, I would have loved that it could have had that, you know, that obviously that bigger platform of, of, of VH1. But in the end, I mean, it's still, it's still the most watched thing we've ever done uh, through Banger TV, right? So uh, yeah, glad we got it done. Although there's probably two or three sequels that could be done now because Man, this music's changing and moving so fast. All the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> Let's talk about how you've been filling the void of live music experiences. Obviously, you've been very busy with the production and the running of everything, but but how have you been filling that void of not getting bombarded by live music experiences? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, <clears throat> I've been driving a lot, spending time up north, uh, and so I spent a lot of time in the car listening to music and finding that right album for that right moment. And I don't know what it is, but Enslaved does very well for me in the, in the, in the northern areas of, oh, yeah. of Ontario. Uh, you know, there's just certain bands that just seem to fit certain contexts. Um, so I guess that, that, would, that would be it. You know, um, you know, I play, unfortunately, just don't have the time to play much music these days with Banger and, and being a dad and a husband. But, you know, the bass is always out at home and, and I'm always noodling around when I get that itch, you know. Um, but yeah. Do you have the full setup with the amp and everything? Not always. Not always. Uh, not enough is the is the better answer. Not enough. <laughs> I don't have the, the Ampeg 6x10 fired up nearly as much as I should, uh, to be honest with you. But yeah, so it's it's probably a combination of like, yeah, the closest I get is like being on the open road with the window down and just, you know, with, you know, enslaved or someone else blaring, you know. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> um, back in 2017, Henderson did the Banger Bruise. It was a monthly metal night. Jamie Morris curated the, the playlist for that, and you guys made four brews. So, so talk to me about that, and then I want to hear about if you could make new brews, what would you do? Well, it was actually one brew just with four different labels. Ah, okay. um, so it was just sort of a limited edition. So, yeah, we, we partnered with Henderson. You know, they do a lot of amazing partnerships and we're in the same building and they love metal we love beer so it just seemed obvious and um we put together the beer with them which was kind of we were going with kind of like a lagered ale approach um you know something it was summertime so we actually wanted something that was going to be easy to drink and and, and accessible uh, and it, you know at that time I'm gapping on the brew. The one that's right out in the far east of Ontario in Van Cleek. What's the name in the tall? Uh, Bose. Bose was kind of like in the Bose world. That's the Bose lug tread. That was kind of the world yep. we wanted to be in. And uh, so refreshing, but kind of, you know, disappears quickly. No hoppiness, all that kind of stuff. So that was fun. It was super fun. We got to do the labels and actually be involved. And I'm sure you've talked about this many times on, 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 on your show, but I really gained a respect for the, the, it's truly is an art and a science, 
right? Brewing. And I knew nothing about brewing and still don't know anything, but got a bit of a crash course from the brewmaster at Henderson's and really gained a respect for the process and the time and the sampling and all of that, you know, uh, it was fun. (laughs) It's fun to be a part of Yeah, the sampling is the obvious sampling is is always the best part. Yeah. but it just goes to show like it's like it's like anything like you're never going to nail it on the first try you've got to work mm-hmm. it's it takes work right it's like it takes work to get there so um yeah it was a it's a fun process hope to do it again one day if you could do it again what what style of beer would you go for and what would you call it yeah well i mean my heart is in the kind of british malty you know, less carbonated kind of world. You know, I, I grew up in a, uh, or I was born rather in an area of England where, you know, real ale, cask ale is taken very seriously. So I guess it's in the blood somewhere. So that's probably where I would go. What I would call it, that's going to take some work. That's, that's a that's big pressure to come up with a name, but... Uh, but Bang, Banger Brew is a great, yeah, great name. Banger, I, I Banger really Brew. like that. Yeah, yeah but uh, I think, you know, stylistically, that, that's probably where I would go because that's my... That's my that's my home 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 place, right? Uh, in terms of beer, amazing. Uh, we have met once before. You probably don't remember this, but I most certainly do. We were coming out of a pizza pizza in Toronto. I was in Three Mile Scream at the time, and as we were stepping out of the pizza pizza, you were standing right there. My bassist Mike Marino was like, "That's Sam Dunn," and, and he went up and spoke to you. And he was like, we're playing with Cryptopsy, because I wasn't in Cryptopsy at the time. And he's like, right there. And you were like, oh, shit, I'm coming. And you came to the show. Fuck, man. I feel like such a jerk. I don't remember that. My apologies. No, no, it's, I, I totally didn't expect you to. Uh, but, uh, that's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Um, certainly, Pizza Pizza and going to a metal show is deeply familiar. <laughs> uh, and I don't know. I'm guessing that was probably down on Queen Street. Was that at... Exactly. I remember yeah. the show. That was... Um, oh, man. What was the place called? It was upstairs. Exactly. The zoo or the... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is that it? Am I crazy? Or it became the zoo? There's a lot of switching names. A block over from the bovine. Right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I, it was like the Pizza Pizza and it was right there, the gig. I do remember the gig. I, I do remember the gig and the Pizza Pizza. That was the gig when I was like, I'm going to say yes to flow and I'm going to join crypto. No way. That's true. Super cool. Totally true. Let's wrap this up with one last question. Uh, It probably doesn't happen to you very often because you're extremely busy doing 10,000 million things, uh, releasing so many amazing things, but every once in a while it happens to everyone. What is your hangover cure? My hangover cure. A handful of Advil, really strong coffee, and uh, yeah, maybe a bit of fresh air. <laughs> Sorry, that's not very exciting. I'm a bit of a hippie at heart. I should say I'm chase it with a with a beer the next morning. But yeah, no, coffee, <laughs> coffee, and and some air. Probably the best place to be. Fantastic. Uh, Sam, thank you so, so much for taking the time to hang out with me. I truly, truly appreciate it. Uh, huge fan of what you're doing. Uh, keep going. Keep growing keep releasing amazing things about music and metal and uh, maybe you could do something about craft beer one day let's do it i'm game always in (laughs) cheers thanks matt cheers hey thank you all so so much for listening right to the end you know that i love and appreciate that Man, was I ever stoked to have a chat with Sam Dunn. When I started this podcast, he was one of the original people I wanted to speak with. Metal, a headbanger's journey, 
was such an important movie in my metal upbringing. I'm just so damn stoked that Sam took the time to have a chat with me. Can't wait to hook up with Sam again and to share a brew in the flesh next time. I'm really, really looking forward to that. If you enjoyed this Vox and Hops episode, you should sign up to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast mailing list. You could do that on my website, voxandhops.com. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. And when you do that, you shall receive one email a week containing all of the details of everything that has happened throughout the past week in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. There is a lot of things going on in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, so I would hate for you to miss a single thing so please do me a favor and sign up to the mailing list the vox and hops metal podcast is brought to you by sound talent media i have one more episode coming up this friday but until then remember to enjoy life metal and craft beer cheers vox and hops hits the number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. I feel like the shadows. Get down! The wrath of the buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The wrath of the buzzard. P-R-O-H files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts.